You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Body language and nonverbal cues play a huge role in how we're perceived and how we judge others. For example, if you're applying for a job and your arms are crossed, the interviewer might assume that you're defensive or closed off. But if you're sitting up tall and relaxed, you're more likely to come off as confident and self-assured. Our brains are hardwired to make assumptions based on this visual form of communication, and we can use this knowledge to our advantage. If there's one thing I'm sure we can all agree on, it's how crucial communication is in every aspect of life. By understanding how to use it and how to read body language, your communication can improve tenfold. In this episode, I talk with human behavior experts who share how we can hack our nonverbal cues to make great first impressions, gain authority, and so much more. I'm joined by Chase Hughes, the founder of Applied Behavior Research and author of the best-selling book, The Ellipsis Manual. Mark Bowden, the number one body language expert and founder of Truth Plane. Blanca Cobb, a TV personality and body language and deception trainer. And lastly, Amelia Antonetti, one of the most sought after human behavior and conflict resolution experts in the world. We cover a lot of ground in this episode. We discuss overriding the reptilian brain, body language tips for making a great first impression, detecting deception, and so much more. This is a highlight episode from a Clubhouse Live I hosted back in February of 2021. So if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to scroll back in our archives to check that one out. And all of our content here at Yap is evergreen. So I encourage all of you guys listening in to go back to episodes you may have missed, especially if you're a new listener. I've also had some of the panelists on the show before one-on-one like Chase Hughes and Mark Bowden. Go check those episodes out if you enjoyed them in this panel. And I'll include all those links in the show notes. If you're wondering how to gain influence, be more authoritative, and make better first impressions, this is one episode you'll want to check out. So the first question is for Mark. When I have researched human behavior, something that comes up time and time again, especially when first looking into the topic, is our reptilian brain. And so I want to understand and want everybody listening today to understand what our reptilian brain is and why do we need to dampen its influence? Yeah, great question. Okay, so the reptilian brain. Look, the reptilian brain is a metaphor. Um, You don't actually have a reptilian brain. It's an idea that we've come up with to help you understand the processing that your mind often does. So we often say that you have kind of three black brains or what we call the triune brain system, which is you've got this very old reptilian brain. It's about 500 million years old. It's the thing that looks after your safety, looks after your temperature. It tells you when you're hungry. It has some of those sexual urges as well. 
and its coding system, again, that's a bit of a metaphor. Your brain isn't a computer. It's not anything like a computer, really. But its coding system goes right back to the earliest reptiles, the dinosaurs, essentially. Now, on top of that, you've got what we call the paleo-mammalian brain. It's the social brain that you have. And it learns uh, the, the rituals, the customs, the goals, the signals of your community. It gets taught by your primary caregivers, the people around you that have resource. And it tries to mimic those primary caregivers, those important people in your life that have resource. So you will fit in to a society. And on top of that, you have something called the neocortex, the new brain. And that, you can teach that one yourself. It's able to read books and learn new behaviors and new ideas. So you've got this new brain, which you're really in charge of. You've got this social mammalian brain, which is kind of programmed a little bit for you by your society and the societies you want to fit into. And then there's this instinctual reptilian brain which you've got really no control over at all in the behaviors that it's going to put out. And a lot of body language, a lot of behavior that often we will observe, especially when people are under stress and pressure, that comes from the primitive brain, that reptilian brain. So I hope that answers your question there, Hala. It does. And for any moderators on the stage, how can we better control our reptilian brain? Or do we just not have control over it at all? Well, no, you can't control it, but you can countermeasure it. I mean, well, you, listen, you can control it. You'd have to get some kind of sharp object and kind of poke around in it, and you'd probably kill yourself, so you don't want to do that. Well, there's some drugs that you can take, but they'll stop you breathing as well. So any control that you try and have over your primitive brain will most likely kill you at the same time. All you can do is countermeasure it, and you have to countermeasure it with your neocortex. You have to understand when your reptilian brain is taking over your life, and you've got to recognize that and bring in countermeasures. So look, as a moderator there, you might find yourself getting anxious or worried, like if you don't hear any sound, if suddenly I cut out, uh, anxiety or worry might come over, and your breathing rate would change and your heart rate would change. Well, one of the things that you could start to do is control your breathing around that and just breathe in a way that you might think is calm and assertive rather than panicked and out of control. You could actually start to move your body in a way which is more calm and assertive rather than panicked and out of control. And anybody listening to this can do the same thing. If you know scenarios where you get a little more panicked and out of control, just know the behaviors that you do when you're calm and assertive and start to do those behaviors on purpose. That's the way to countermeasure that primitive brain and to some extent certainly control the behaviors that you're putting out. I love that. So basically you're saying if you're feeling anxious, start to breathe and do movements that calm you or that you would do in a calm state and it's essentially tricking yourself to feel calm. Yes, exactly that. What you want to do is to kind of look at the behaviors you do when you're calm and assertive and just reproduce those as much as you can when you're getting that early trigger or some early experience of the behaviors of being panicked, out of control, whatever you don't want to be doing. Got it. Amelia, go ahead. I'm in here. So 100%, like Mark said on, right? It's the not trying to disconnect from the primary state, but to have behavioral tools that channels it 
towards the path that you're going on. So, for example, anxiety, right? So, Mark's example about being anxious prior to an event. So, you can't stop that you're feeling it, but what you can do is change your relationship with it. So, instead of anxiety that I'm feeling, I'm finding I'm feeling excitement, and I'm taking that excitement and I'm putting it, putting it towards an opportunity so that I'm channeling that same energy back inside myself in a positive manner and then looking for the opportunity. So that energy can cause me to move forward into a situation where I would want to repel away from it to move me closer towards that opportunity or goal. So for just example, just for myself, although people see me on TV and they see me on stage, they make the assumption that I'm an extrovert. They make the assumption that I'm not nervous. Well, none of that is anywhere close to the truth. I am anxious. I do get anxious before I, I step into a public arena. And I channel that energy into a relationship of feeling I'm feeling excited. And that energy is going to allow me to take those first couple of steps to push through that, that anxiety and or excitement. And then once I get there, I can breathe into that space, give myself that three-second pause, neutralizing my energy, and then it allows me to share the content with the audience, which I see it as me as trying to serve so that other people can learn tools, tricks, all kinds of things to glue them into their life to get them where they want to be. The false belief is that, well, I'm going to wait till I no longer feel this anxiety. I'm going to wait and somehow it's going to magically go away. No, what Mark is saying is it's not going to away. So the counterbalance is the tools that allow you to still move to where you're, where you're going, wanting to go. I want to know how we can give off very friendly language. So let's pretend we're at a networking event and COVID doesn't exist or we're at a party and we don't know many people. We're walking into this party and we want to make a good impression. What body language should we give off? What are the things that we should say or do to be more attractive, to be friendly and to you know make a good impression at this party? Chase, let's start with you. Yeah, and, and keep in mind that any social interaction that you will ever participate in for the rest of your life, the reason that babies are born knowing how to smile and frown, and the reason that if you watch as people getting the crap scared out of them compilation on YouTube, that all of the human bodies do the same thing is because language, just the, the spoken word is really new for our species as a whole. And we were communicating with each other non-verbally for millions of years, so much so that a lot of this stuff that we use to talk to each other is in our DNA. It's literally written into us. We are born with all that stuff. But we're also born with what Mark discussed earlier is that mammalian brain. That's the part that's, that's not just capable of sending out all these signals, but you have to understand that when you get a gut feeling or when you have a feeling about somebody that something was off, that's that part of the brain that's millions of years old that's reading what the other person is sending, but it's not capable of language. So it can't give you a text message. It can't tell you what it saw, but it gives you that gut feeling. And there are some great things we can do to communicate to other people on a body language level. They don't have to know how to read body language because it's so innate in, in a lot of our interactions. And Coming up to anybody, especially at a networking event where everybody's kind of nervous, the moment that we start to like someone is not when we realize they're perfect. 
we're more likely to like somebody who also exhibits some of these things. So reading a LinkedIn article about how to control your stress or anxiety is not going to get rid of millions of years of evolution. So if we're talking millions of years of evolution versus an article on LinkedIn. Evolution wins. So a lot of the things that we can do is show some gratitude on your body. Like, how would you look right now if you were feeling absolutely grateful for everything that's going on? Mark has a fantastic TED Talk on winning trust of people, especially in these types of situations with something that Mark, I'm sure, will talk about called the truth plane. And I think it's really important to understand the proximics of conversations, especially at these networking events where you don't want to be 180 degrees from the other person, like face-to-face interactions. Just one other small tip would be just to angle your body away just a little bit instead of this direct head-on or face-to-face situations. And I would say that the more interesting, not interested, the more interesting you can make that person feel, the better you're going to do on as far as rapport goes. Yeah, actually, Chase, I have a follow-up question. Why angle our bodies? Like, what's the difference there? I think anybody that's uh, up here on the on the panel would, would be able to answer probably more eloquently than I would. But this triggers a almost a challenge mechanism in our brain. So that part of our brain that reads nonverbal communication sees a potential threat to be more present and more clear in the situation if we're face-to-face. And it, from interrogations to job interviewing skills, even in the intelligence communities, when we're recruiting uh, an intelligence asset overseas, we teach that angling away this body positions from another person kind of helps them to identify that we're almost looking the same direction. We have a common goal. We have some common ground here. And in in most of these situations, if, if we're face-to-face, the person doesn't even know that they're feeling that way. So their gut feeling about you might just boil down to that face-to-face interaction where we're kind of head-on with that person. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me. But do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace to help me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me. I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals and I'll keep you updated. 
a lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. Young and profiters, it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. With inspiration at our fingertips and powerful tools at our disposal, the possibilities are endless. And when it comes to tools that can truly make your business grow, there's one name that always stands out, Shopify. <coughs> Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the real store with the door stage and even the did we just hit a million orders stage. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify magic is your AI superpowered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts from blog posts to product descriptions. Not to mention Shopify also is the home of the best converting checkouts in the game, 36% better than other leading commerce platforms. Shopify turns browsers into buyers. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And you can sell whatever, whenever with Shopify. Push pleated pants with Shopify's in-person POS system or monetize mindful meditation. I sell my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass through Shopify and they've made my life a breeze. It took a couple days to set up my store and I just get to focus on what I do best, creating great content and marketing my product. So don't stress if you're new to this commerce thing. Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. And remember, whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting and that's all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash profiting to start growing your business today. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. So interesting. Mark, what are your best tips for a good impression? So thanks, Chase, for bringing up the truth plane. Let me talk a little bit about, about that. That's a signal that is made to affect other people's reptilian, their primitive brain. As I said before, it's about 500 million years old, and it's looking for risk and reward. So the first thing I'm going to do is approach people so that they can see me. Because if I approach from behind or in their peripheral vision, it will trigger fight and flight for them. Because there's way more risk to me approaching them, being able to hear my approach, than being able to hear and see my approach and my full body being visible to them. So I'll approach where they can see most of me and I'll do open palm gestures at exactly navel height. Those open palm gestures are a signal of no tools, no weapons, nothing in my hands. Again, low risk, more benefit. And I'll be opening those palms at exactly navel height. The, the navel area, that stomach area, is very, very vulnerable. And if somebody takes control of that, they've got control over most of your body. They've got control over your center of gravity. So if I'm approaching very visible, no tools, no weapons, and displaying my center of gravity and the delicate organs that are around there, it means I don't think you're a predator. And, and I'm certainly not a predator. If I was a predator, I would be approaching from behind or I would be swinging from side to side as I approach you, as Chase was saying, full on. I would be approaching my body full on to yours and swaying from side to side or just kind of angling myself 
in a zigzag motion towards you to confuse you as to you being the target. So that's all you need to do is lots of open palm gestures at navel height and be in clear proximity. Amazing. Oh my gosh, so much great content. This is literally one of my favorite topics. I don't know about you guys listening in, but it's so fascinating. And every time I interview somebody about this, I learn something new. If I could just share one gem, I learned this from Dr. Jack Schaefer. He's an ex-FBI agent I had on my show a couple times. He says that look for people who, like, if they're standing in a circle talking to each other, if there's an opening, that means that, you know, you're welcome to kind of approach that circle if their feet are kind of pointing out. But if their feet are pointing inward and they have kind of like a closed circle, that means that it's private and, and they don't really want you to join. So that's another tip from me all of this friendly body language and things that we should be doing, it seems very opposite from what we should be doing if we want to command authority. And so I want to talk about authority next and how we can be more authoritative to set context for this and for everyone listening to understand how important being authoritative is and how powerful it can be. Chase, can you tell us about the Milgram experiment and how powerful authority can be? Yeah, so let me just set the stage really quick. It's uh, 1962. It's a pretty cold day in uh, Yale University. And these people respond to an ad in the newspaper. And essentially, they go into the psychology building at Yale, which is Lindsay Chatham Hall. And they basically get sat in a room next to a box. And there's a guy in the other room right beside them. And every time he gets an answer on a test wrong, they have to shock him with electricity through the wall. And the voltage meter that's in front of you as a volunteer goes from zero to all the way to 450 and then says XXX, danger, severe shock. So they predicted 0.09 people would go all the way to the end, shocking this person in another room who's screaming, you can hear him through the wall saying he has a heart condition and then stops responding altogether. How many people are going to keep shocking this guy? And they were, they thought at 0.09%, the actual results were between 64 and 67% of people would commit murder. And this took place in less than an hour. There's no insane body language skills. There's no persuasion. There's no hypnosis. There's there's no influence tactics going on here. And it, this was during the Nuremberg trials of, of Nazi Germany. And the Nazis were saying, you know, we were just following orders. And Stanley Milgram's parents were Jewish. And he wanted to figure out, can this be true? Is this really true that somebody could say I was just following orders? And this experiment's been replicated many times to rule out all the fallacies. And it's got very similar results every time. So what makes a person do something so atrocious, or we could just take it out of context for a minute. What makes a person feel like they have full permission to do something that is completely outside of their norm? What makes somebody do something very unusual for their character? And that authority plays a major role. And on one hand, part of that authority was this guy's wearing a lab coat. He resembles a doctor, and there's articles on this. If you want to go Google this later and you're listening now, you can look up white coat syndrome and how we're affected by perceived authority. Not just some authorities are unjust. And sometimes even a doctor can give a patient a, a diagnosis of a terminal illness incorrectly and the patient still dies. There's plenty of books and stuff written on this. 
But part of the thing that, that goes into the authority is our primitive brain, our mammalian brain, if you will, is always scanning, especially in events where we have little information. So if something is new and we're introducing the concept of novelty, the mammalian brain automatically starts scanning for what it perceives as a potential authority figure and makes a decision to follow. And of course, there's tons of body language stuff here. But I would give you, you're listening right now, if you want the hard and fast tip, the number one thing to start triggering the other person's mammalian brain, which is what makes all of our decisions. So our mammalian brain and stuff, all the stuff in the base of the brain makes an emotional unconscious decision. And then our conscious mind takes credit and rationalizes it most of the time. But if we want to trick someone's brain into thinking, wow, this might be an authority figure. I need to pay a little bit more attention here. Try just for a few days. I want you to try this experiment. Try to not move any quicker than you would if you were in a swimming pool. Make that your maximum speed. If your body was underwater, how fast could I move? I want you to see the difference you get in the reaction from people that you're in conversations with this week. But authority, above all else, persuasion, influence, or anything else, authority is programmed into our genetics because if we didn't obey the tribal leader, we didn't listen to the tribe a million years ago, 100,000 years ago, we were outcast or we were, were killed and our genes, our DNA stops existing on earth. So powerful. I think everyone is getting so much value out of this conversation. I want to pivot to Mark here. Can you talk to us about how we can hack authority and trigger an obedient response? Yeah, that's a really, uh, really interesting question there. Uh, here's what I want to do to build on what Chase is saying there. Is we need to understand that not all tribes are the same. Different tribes have different values, beliefs, rituals, customs, goals, concerns, and signals. And we learn those for the tribe that we are a part of really early on. And when we change tribes, then we change those values, beliefs, rituals, customs, goals, concerns, and signals. That can be really painful. That's really hard work. So look, Here's what you need to understand is the white coat in the Milgram experiment will not work everywhere. It will work in all the tribes where that white coat is seen as having value. But take that white coat and clipboard full of scientific ideas, maybe to a homeopathic convention, and it may not have the same authority because that particular tribe have a different set of values and beliefs and goals and concerns. So the way to hack this system, I would say, is to understand the person you are trying to influence and persuade using authority. You need to understand that they are not an individual. They are part of a group. We are social mammals. Anybody who says, yeah, I'm a total individual, you've got a problem. Uh, you've got a problem uh, with being part of society, and it probably won't work out for you particularly well uh, eventually, okay? So we are part of groups, and we need to work out how that individual as part of that group, what value system they are underneath, and therefore, what are the signals we need to give them in order to trigger their paleomammalian brain to going, that's a value signal, we pay attention to that, and we do what that signal says. So first of all, you've got to look at that individual and work out what tribe, what group 
what society that they're part of and they've signed up to, and what are the most valuable signals you could play them in order for them to start to behave in the way that you want them to behave. That's great. And then the next question I have is for Amelia. I want to know what qualities or traits can kill our authority. Um, great question. Um, so, you know, we're creatures of habit, right? Our brain is trying to detect unmatches, right? So being consistent in your tone, being consistent to what you're referring to, right, helps other people follow, learn, and validate what we're saying. So for example, if I'm trying to say I like you, but my face is saying I don't like you, or if I am making a reference into it that's giving a mixed signal, right? People disconnect when there is a conflicting or mixed messaging, right? So in so often, whether you're talking about a brand or a company or the you know team building, anytime you give a mixed message, right, people stop, they pause, they create no action. And so all of those, mind, body, and spirit, mind, body, and your intention have to be in alignment to convey the message that you intend in a way to land it to the audience on what's important for, for them. And so all of that is at play. The more that you can align internally with what your intention is, what are you trying to accomplish, so at least you get your side right, then it gives you more opportunity to then figure out how are you going to connect with what's going on outside of self. But the biggest behavioral tools are internal tools that create exponential outside results. Yeah, and how about the the body language or the way that we dress or even our blink rate? Maybe Chase, you can talk to this. Like, what are some of the things that, that just show that we are not authoritative and we have no authority? Well, going under what Mark said, in our society or in the tribe, as Mark would put it, how do authority figures dress and how do they look? There was a, a great experiment done with this uh, called the crosswalk experiment where this guy in uh, blue jeans and a t-shirt breaks the crosswalk when he's not supposed to and he crosses the street. Of course, there's no cars coming. A couple of people follow him through the crosswalk, but the same guy goes and puts on a suit and tie and decides to cross the crosswalk and increases the amount of people that follow him across the crosswalk by around 80%. And this is profound that just the clothing or the appearance of that person was enough to, you know, break the law. So there's so many visual cues that our brain's reading unconsciously all the time. A lot of those are posture and speed of movement. If, if there's one thing, I think a lot of body language experts, probably everyone here can agree with this, speeds up different parts of our body. So fear makes our body move a little bit faster. So go back to the experiment and try that again. Don't move faster than you could if your body was underwater. And Holler, remember, we're also using these same behavioral tools behind the scenes. You know, a lot of the work that we do is on set on TV with our A-list personalities, right? So even though the talent actually is small, we broaden them with their clothing so that we have, you know, shoulder pads so that the gentleman looks like he has more of that stature. When we shoot, we shoot at an angle so he appears taller. 
in placement next to other talent. We put them up on a box so that they appear to be bigger, right? Because we're portraying the character. When we're doing talk show environments, if you notice, if you pay attention now, you'll look, you'll notice that the host, right, their chair is slightly bigger and elevated over the guest. It's only about an inch or so different, but they are shot differently than the guest. The guest is shot in an angle where the host is shot straight on. The chair is a little bit higher, and these are all subconscious cues of status that you're talking about. And so you're seeing them from the marketing side that your body's getting conditioned for them. So what we're talking about is reverse engineering them when you want to use them for your favor. So for myself, when I wear red, that gives a different signal to an audience than I wear blue. So if you look at the stuff that I've done more on, say, Fox and CNBC and that type of stuff, you'll see me in blue. If you see me where I'm being more in a role of an expert, you're going to see me on red. If I'm working with um, a younger audience, you're going to see me in yellow, right? And so you have all of these tools around you, behavioral tools that you can use to your advantage based on your desired outcome. Or is your desire to engage so that you're helping and serving? Is your desire to be authoritative so people are listening? Is your desire for credibility so that you're respected? And all of it, body language, choice of words, color, height, positioning, all makes a difference in the outcome and response that you're getting from others. We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. I want to talk to all you employers out there and let's talk about company culture. At Yap Media, we have a super unique company culture. We are all obsessed with excellence and we even call ourselves this really cute name, Scrappy Hustlers. We're all Scrappy Hustlers at Yap Media. And my team is growing fast. And hiring is a pain in the butt, especially if you're looking for A players that are going to roll up their sleeves. But luckily, when it comes to hiring, I no longer feel overwhelmed by the search for the perfect candidate because I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed's matching engine always presents me with a pool of high quality candidates that match my job description to a T. If you're tired of drowning in your hiring pool, Indeed is here to rescue you. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging your candidates, making the entire hiring process a breeze. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I've hired some of my best employees at Indeed, some of my best scrappy hustlers. With over 140 million qualifications and preferences analyzed every day, Indeed is constantly learning from your hiring preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets at actually hiring your perfect match. Join the ranks of more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that have already chosen Indeed to hire great talent. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash profiting. Just go to Indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply need to hire, you need Indeed. Young and profiters, I've got a fun fact for you. Did you know that by 2030, over 85% of the jobs that will exist haven't even been invented yet? And that's why we need to acquire new skills and stay relevant and adaptable. By embracing lifelong learning, we can future-proof our careers and our businesses. 
That's why you've got to check out Economist Education. Economist Education provides online executive education courses tailor-made for professionals just like us, crafted by The Economist's own editors and special experts. Economist Education courses are designed to sharpen your professional skills in key areas like data storytelling, critical thinking, sustainability, and so much more. I highly recommend checking out The Economist Education course, Business Writing and Storytelling. It's packed with valuable practical advice on how to inform and persuade through writing reports, social media, presentations, and beyond. The best part, these courses are online, flexible, and self-paced, lasting anywhere from two to six weeks. You're guided by expert tutors. You'll dive into a mix of videos, podcasts, texts, quizzes, and weekly assignments. Plus, you'll get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning journey. Economist Education provides access to online forums where you can network with peers around the globe. In a world where knowledge is power, Economist Education empowers you to lead the way. Economist Education is an incredible way to stay ahead in business. And I've got a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course only available by going to my special URL, education.economist.com slash profiting, and then enter the promo code profiting at registration. This offer ends on March 31st, so don't wait. For 15% off, go now to education.economist.com slash profiting and use code profiting. Again, this ends on March 31st. If you want 15% off, you've got to go to education.economist.com slash profiting and use promo code profiting at registration. Young and profiters, I actually have a nasty habit of ordering way too many groceries. I'm embarrassed to say it, but I've wasted so much food in the past and I felt really guilty about it, but now my conscience is clear with HelloFresh. Each week, I get ingredients shipped to me with step-by-step recipes. I get fresh, pre-measured ingredients that get me whipping up delicious dinners in no time. And then I reduce waste because you get exactly what you need and nothing else. I love trying new foods and HelloFresh has over 45 recipes and more than 100 seasonal add-ons to choose from every single week. It's so much fun to pick out my meals. It's easier than ever to find something that everybody in your family will enjoy. I personally like to stick with the basics when it comes to HelloFresh. I get their meat and veggies plan. I love the options they have for that. And trust me, it's cheaper than takeout and with pre-proportioned ingredients, you'll never waste money on excess food. And now Green Chef is owned by HelloFresh which gives me an even wider variety of meals to choose from. There's something for everyone. I love switching between the brands and you can enjoy both brands at a discount with me now. Skip the grocery store and save time with easy, tasty recipes delivered to your door. Go to hellofresh.com slash profitingfree and use code profitingfree for free breakfast for life. That's one breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash profitingfree with code profiting free. And let's look at it from the other side of the coin. So you guys are giving us advice on how to be authoritative. Now, what if we're in a situation and someone is commanding authority and we don't want to be manipulated? Like what should we do as people to kind of keep our eyes open and and not become accidental murderers (laughs) like the Milgram experiment? And any mod who wants to answer this can. Sure, I can jump in there, Hala. Look, here's what you need to understand, I think. For example, in Canada right now, if I put on a police uniform and walk down the street, I can be prosecuted for imprisonment for up to five years. This is called impersonating a police officer. Now, why five years for just putting on a costume? The reason is, is the power 
that that image has. Authority knows that the major amount of power is in the dress there, is in the symbols that somebody else sees and how they'll get triggered into obedience. And that's been done in the paleo-mammalian brain. You were taught that obedience. You were taught when you see this badge, when you see that hat, when you see that uniform, start to do specific actions around that. Be compliant. So what we need to do in order to override or countermeasure the mammalian brain there and all its training is to use critical thinking and the neocortex. That part of the brain is only about 200,000 years old. It's pretty new, but it's super powerful. The first thing you want to do is start asking questions of the authority figure. Just any question you like, any question, that anything you can think of, okay? You just want to start asking a question because that's the start of critical thinking. And when you start that critical thinking process, you'll start to see if the authority figure in front of you starts to respond to your questioning of them and starts to lower their status, okay? So any question that pops into mind, the first question you can think of, whether it's, what do you think of the weather today? Or um, where, did you, where did you get your shoes from? Anything that you can come up with will start to puncture the obedience trigger system that often these uh, these symbols that have been played on you are having on you. There, there's my thoughts. Chase, Blanca, Amelia, anything to add here? Yeah, absolutely. I think what Mark was saying is absolutely, I, I agree with 100%. And awareness is the number one way to avoid this. So the more you know about this stuff, and if you just learn a little bit of, of neuroanatomy, so if, you, if you're listening right now and you stick your fingers in your ears, you're going to be pointing towards the mammalian part of your brain and understanding just where it is and how it starts to work in environments like this when we respond to authority figures, understanding that a lot of this is coming from a million-year-old part of your brain. That awareness is what gives you control. And you're basically taking what's operating in the dark and shining a big flashlight on it. The next thing I want to talk about is building trust and how to tell when someone's lying. So let's start with detecting deception. And Blanca, I know you're an expert on this topic. How can we tell if someone is lying? Well, first, I want to say how you can't tell. And there is no universal body language sign that lets you know that somebody's lying. A lot of times people, if you think back to Pinocchio, the Disney character, every time Pinocchio lied in the nose group, unfortunately, we don't have that. There are different tells that people have. A lot of it goes back to the baseline that I was talking about. But again, keep this in mind, just because there's a change in somebody's behavior doesn't necessarily mean that they're lying. It could be that they're uncomfortable. Maybe whatever question or topic is making them think of something in the past, something that they heard, something that they know about somebody else. However, when you can start pairing up changes in body language, but really listening into the words, what people are saying, what they're not saying, that can give you a sense of maybe there's a hot spot. Hot spot, I think, is a more appropriate word because I don't want for people to, to say, oh, I heard this. So that means somebody's automatically lying. Thank you so much, Blanca. Mark, Chase, Amelia, anything to add when it comes to detecting deception or building trust? Yeah, let me just add one thing in here, which is important to know, I think, 
is that lying is one of our most important social skills, as is telling the truth. And the key is, is to know when to lie and when to tell the truth in order to fit in with the social group that you're part of. We all have to, you know, fabricate or exaggerate in order to get along with people. And we all have to accept fabrications and exaggerations in order to get along. So I think people should understand that you don't want to become too good at detecting lies most of the time, else what you'll end up with is some kind of antisocial behavioral disorder. So what you really want to know is when things really count, when things really matter to you, if you could get closer to the truth, would that be helpful? And so the process that I use really is a critical thinking process. It's just thinking more about the body language that you've seen, the words that you've heard, the context that that's all in, gathering even more information and intelligence around that, and then taking your first assumptions about what somebody said and how they behave, and now putting that against some new assumptions that you might have, now you've thought a little bit better about it. And the thing about this critical thinking process is, though it can be quite short, it takes quite a bit of brain power to do it. And so most of the time, you won't do it because it's a little bit hard. But when things really matter, when you're thinking about important relationships, important deals, important moments in your life with people who you maybe don't know so well or trusting them immediately could be at a higher risk, that's when you just want to use a little more critical thinking. You know, Look at the body language more, the language more, bring some new assumptions in and test them against your old assumptions. Awesome. And Amelia, I think you were going to say something as well. Yeah, I was going to also kind of just chime in with Mark was saying, you know, for me, it's not, are you lying to me? The question that I'm really looking at is, why are you lying to me? Right. And so, again, I like that uh, what Bianca was saying, it's a hot spot, right? Instead of saying it's lying, because there's a lot of natural reasons why people fabricate, is that when somebody is giving you more detail than is required is usually the trigger for me that they are embellishing or not telling the truth. But the comfort zone for lying for many people is lying by omission, right? So that's another behavior thing to also explore, which always then leads to be able to say, well, why are they lying? And is that work that needs to be done on your side or is that some baggage that they're carrying? Got it. And Chase, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, 100% agree with everybody here. And if you want to dig into some tactics, let's just do two very quick tactics to make this a little better. The first would be, number one, is that you have to look for deviations in that person's baseline. Uh, there's non-baseliners out there. How do they normally act? And is, th is there something different here? And finally, the best question, if you think you're being deceived or you think someone is being deceitful, is to ask something called a bait question. And all you would do here is just say the following words. Is there any reason? And then give them a plausible out or a plausible way to where they could re-explain that and start putting the truth into their answer. Man, oh man, what a great conversation. I love human behavior. So every conversation that we have about human behavior is always one of my favorites. 
Chase, Mark, Blanca, and Amelia are so well-versed in behavior psychology, and this episode was packed with actionable advice on how to master your body language. So a couple tips really stuck out to me, and the first one was how to use countermeasures to tame your reptilian brain response. The reptilian brain is the instinctual brain, so when you're feeling really worried or anxious, it's likely your reptilian brain acting up. Our experts said that we can't control our reptilian brain, but we can tame it by using countermeasures. So if you're feeling triggered or anxious, try consciously moving your body in a way as if you would if you were calm. So slow your breathing down, slow your body movements down, and this can help you override your reptilian response and regain control of the situation. Never underestimate the power of deep breaths in stressful situations. Another thing we talked about was the importance of body angle for putting others at ease. Having conversations face-to-face can trigger a threat response in the person you're talking to, but if you angle slightly away, they're more likely to view you as being on their side. This is useful in so many different situations, but I'd say definitely for recruiters and job seekers. Try angling your body in a similar direction to the person you're speaking with and see if that helps put them at ease. We talked a lot about how to use body language to gain authority, and Chase mentioned the importance of the speed we're moving at. Going slow exudes confidence while quick movements are associated with fear. He urges us to experiment with the speed of our movement and see how those around us react. Remember to check out the show notes for the full original unedited Clubhouse Live episode or catch Chase and Mark's one-on-one interviews number eight and number 141, respectively. And start paying attention to the body language of those around you and be conscious of the nonverbal cues you're giving off. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening. And I want to give a quick shout out to my amazing Yap team. Thank you so much for all that you do. And if you liked learning about body language, go ahead and shoot me a DM on Instagram or Twitter at Yap with Hala or LinkedIn. You can search for my name. It's Hala Taha. Be sure to drop us a five-star review if you enjoyed this episode. And I'll catch you next time. This is Hala signing off.